It's raining. There are 225 days left in 2016, and it's time for the Anderson Observer Podcast. News from people you trust for the May 20th, 2016 edition. We're going to talk about the rain, about county budgets, about the elections, about getting ready for summer, and several other things on today's broadcast. As always, the Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust, is made possible by the good folks at Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill downtown Anderson's best spot for lunch or dinner and one of America's top 100 restaurants. That's right. It's chosen as one of the top in the country. It's been written up in everything from culinary magazines to Southern Living to even the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Bill Nickus and his wife Sabre came here to Anderson 18 years ago, almost 20 years ago, and helped reinvent downtown and really were the key figures in the renaissance of downtown Anderson. We appreciate all they've done. And on top of that, they have great food. Check them out at Facebook at Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill or just at uh, sullivansmetropolitangrill.com, their own line. As you know, Sullivan's at Brookstone closed last week after more than a year. Uh, with the planned renovations to that golf course out there, we're going to be closed for months. Owner Bill Nickus, who said that the restaurant did really well out there and he really appreciated all the customers and they had a good time, including those Sunday lunches that went well. He decided to focus on continuing the growth of Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill downtown, which is continuing to grow and also to deal with a huge increase in demand for catering, which Sullivan's also does a lot of. But it will be missed out at Brookstone, but we still have the mothership downtown. So if you haven't been to Sullivan's lately, go down there and tell them you heard about it on The Observer. It has been raining and cool. felt more like fall this week, uh, and the rain canceled another downtown block party. But next week, we'll more than make up for it with the legendary Wanda Johnson. If you haven't heard Wanda Johnson sing, she is sing. She has toured the world with B.B. King and one of the top blues singers around, and she's from right here in Anderson. So that was, that's always a great time when she's down at the block party at Carolina Wren Park. That's next Thursday night starting at 6 o'clock. Hope to see you down there. And other things that are going on, AIM is looking for partners for their summer food program for kids. A lot of the kids in the county schools depend on that school lunch for a hot meal every day or some food. But uh, when school lets out in the summer, they actually go hungry. And AIM believes that no kids should go hungry. So they do the summer food program, and they work hard to make sure that that doesn't happen. You can help them out and find out more about it at the AIM Facebook page or just visit aimcharity.org. Uh, they're also, also coming up Monday's a Homeland uh, Park job fair. Uh, it's at the Homeland Park Baptist Church. Uh, from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. is in the gymnasium there. They're going to have all kinds of folks represented at that place. Uh, they're sponsored by the Workforce Development. Uh, Anderson County, AIM is involved in that as well. Vocational Rehab, Tri-County Tech, South Carolina Department of Social Service, and South Carolina Department of Mental Health. And the goal is to bring community resources and information that are needed for those who are unemployed or underemployed and uh, help them find a better career and also to help the Homeland Park economy down there. The event is going to be uh, featuring a barbecue plate fundraiser as well. And the plate is $6, and I think it includes sandwich, Brunswick stew, and chips, and all that kind of thing to drink. So you might want to drop by there Monday if you're looking for something to do. You know somebody down there that needs a job. Uh, troopers are starting a new push now between now and Memorial Day to ticket people not wearing seatbelts. So if you're not a seatbelt wearer, you might want to do it. You might want to get in that habit. Save some money and save yourself a lot of grief by just buckling up. In other news, uh, Mike Gambrell easily won the runoff for the South Carolina State Senate seat left vacant by the untimely death of Billy O'Dell. Senator Billy O'Dell is still missed and will be. Um, Gambrell won by really more than 90% of the vote. It was very low turnout, maybe 2 to 3% turnout, but he won by about 90%. And he never let campaigning slow down his work, and we appreciate that, as he helped lead the efforts to overturn 
Governor Haley's veto uh, to not give the farmers whose farms were really damaged by the flooding last year in the state some extra help. But they are going to get that help thanks to Gamble and the folks down at the General Assembly who decided to override that veto. It was almost 100% overridden. And Anderson School District 5 also extended the contract of Superintendent Tom Wilson for another four years with the planned Big Technology Center coming up, improvements in athletics, and some other things. That's not really going to surprise anybody. And, of course, as, we, as we've been talking about here on the Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust, it is election season, and the primary is just a few weeks away. And this week, uh, South Carolina voter registration passed 3 million registered voters. Um, well, I think that was last week. It's been in this month. And I hope that we'll get a better turnout for the primary than we've been seeing in some of the recent events. But it's good to know that 3, many, 3 million people are registered to vote in this state. That's a lot. And speaking of the elections, the Anderson Observer Podcast, again, news from people you trust, continues to interview candidates from our various local races. In case you missed it over the past three weeks, uh, we've interviewed all three candidates for sheriff, and they've been right here on the podcast. You can go look for those interviews if you missed them on either iTunes or at andersonobserver.com slash podcast. The podcasts are from all our weekly podcasts for the last year. We're celebrating one year now uh, are there. This week I talked with Rain Campbell, who is one of the three candidates seeking the office of solicitor for the 10th Judicial Circuit. This is a really important race, particularly in light of the fact we've talked to the sheriffs and all three of them talked to the sheriff uh, candidates. All three of them talked about how important it was to have a solicitor that they could work with. Okay, I'm talking to Rain Campbell. He's one of our candidates for solicitor. And first, why don't you just, just tell people a little bit about you, people who don't know you. What do they need to know about you? Thank you. Uh, like I say, my name is Rain Campbell. I live here in Anderson County uh, with my family. And I have a child that goes to school here. I have a vested interest in this community, and I want to see it grow and be prosperous and safe for all the people that are the citizens here in Anderson and the Coney County. Um, I'm 47 years old. I have been in law practice for approximately 19 years. Four of that was actually in private practice. I actually started down in the Low Country in Hampton County, where I worked for Solicitor Randolph Murdoch as a prosecutor down there for a little over three years. Moved up to Anderson, I, was, I got married. My wife's originally from Greenville and we settled in Anderson. I did private practice for four years, general practitioner. So I did a lot of crimes, uh, or excuse me, a lot of um, different type of cases, uh, criminal defense, family court, uh, federal court, magistrate court, uh, social security workers comp. I covered a, a wide variety of areas in the legal field. When Solicitor Adams came to, was elected to the position in 2005, she had spoken to me and I came on board uh, with her where I had been since then until last week in which I tendered my resignation in order to run for this position as to be the top solicitor or prosecutor for Anderson and Coney Counties. Well, I guess that sort of leads into the next question. Why, why do you want this position? I mean, this, this is a very difficult, challenging position, and it's also one that's really been fairly controversial over the last couple of years here in this area. Why do you want to run for this position? Well, this is what I love to do. Uh, I come from a law enforcement background. My dad's a retired state trooper out of Florida. He did 38 years on the Florida Highway Patrol. My other relatives are my uncles were retired deputy sheriffs or highway patrolmen. My aunt was retired uh, first responder, EMS. So I come from that type of background. I grew up uh, in that environment. Um, and it's one of those things that this is what I enjoyed doing. Growing up, I was always around uh, police officers. And I enjoyed, those are my friends. Those are who I, I, even today, is who I associate with, that I enjoy being with. 
And they were the type of people, they wanted to make a positive impact upon the community. I like that type of personality. I enjoy being with them, and I feel like I have something I can give to them through the legal field to help them do their job. So the end result is to make everything safe, you know, make the people safe and target those that are bad. And you know, I don't think we have been doing that here recently. And that is one of the reasons I'm running is I have good relationships and communications with law enforcement. And I think that in fostering that with good police work, we can make a difference in this community. I've also just don't, I've not always been in the legal field. I've done, I've been in the, the industry, uh, works a couple of years in the wholesale lumber industry. I've been in business. So I've seen different ways and I have different ideas on how things should be run here. Um, and, and I'll explain a little bit more when you, you want me to on that. But I feel like our office, we're, our business is justice. The solicitor's office, we deal with justice. And basically what we sell or our commodity is basically court time. And we have to use that efficiently. We're just like any other governmental agency. We have limited resources and, and we have to use what we have to most effectively uh, to target those who are the worst of the worst or those who are basically need to be removed from our society. And, and so I feel like I have a lot I can bring to, to that. I think the office should be run like a business. People should be there on time and working for the citizens. You, you think about it, we're, we're really beholden to three groups of people, law enforcement, taxpayers, and, and victims. And those are the people we have to concentrate on and try to help. I, hear, I go to a lot of these meetings and out in the community, you hear a lot of frustration, anger on the citizens' faces and, and voices. And they're, they're tired of the way it's going. And, and we need to change. There's no doubt about that. We have got to change the direction we are going. Or it's not, nothing's going to happen unless we change what we're doing. Let's talk about that. What are some of the specific challenges moving ahead? Let's, if you were elected... Uh, to this position of solicitor, what, what, what do you see as the major challenges facing this office? The major area, I think, um, is basically communicating. Everything comes down to being able to speak to people, to talk to them. And I think if you have a good open line of communications with law enforcement and citizens, that you'll get good results in the end. And what I mean by that is, it's not, it's not just us that deals with stuff or cases. What you have is, is we need a community-type-based prosecution where all the three groups, citizens, law enforcement, and the solicitor's office are involved. I think the solicitor's office needs to be more involved in the community. I think they need to go out and go to the community meetings. They need to meet the citizens. The citizens need to have a face with a name and somebody they can reach out to and talk to. Uh, that has been lacking in the past. And one of the things is, is that typically between the two counties, you have approximately 5,000 cases, I'm giving a rough estimate, come across the desk a year. To me, when it comes across the desk, it may just be a case file with an incident report, a criminal history, victim information. But to the person who's the victim, it means something. It's real. It's personal. And unless they convey that to law enforcement and the prosecutor's office, we can't really make an effective change. And, and what I mean by that is when you go in the communities, they know 
who the ones are that are causing the most problems. They know the individuals that are stealing cars left and right, or breaking into everything, or dealing drugs. Well, yeah, uh, one of the, the uh, I talked to Sheriff Ship on last week's podcast. We were, he was talking about there's a handful of individuals who commit about thirty or forty percent of the crime. You have about twenty, thirty percent. It's you know roughly that estimate of people who are committing seventy, eighty percent of the crimes. A lot of it's drug related. They're either stealing to go buy drugs or stealing to make drugs. Um, it, it's a vicious cycle that we're in right now. The one of the areas that I think has not been properly addressed is the property crimes. And the people that are keep doing the crimes, the citizens know who they are. And, and that's where I go back to we need open lines of communication. And the office needs to be more involved in the community because they know. Like I say, it's a file that comes across the desk, but that person, it's real. It, 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 it's personal. And, the, and once they start communicating to law enforcement, to our office, these are the ones we have got to get out of our community to make it safer then we can use what we have as limited resources on court time and use that time wisely to go after those who are the biggest thorn in, in the community. When you talk about limited resources, uh, what, what resources do you, does the solicitor's office need to do a more progressive, aggressive job? Well, we have in, in Anderson County, there's approximately 24 to 26 court terms a year. About half of that is, is um, trial terms. A county is about 12 to 13 terms a year. They usually do one week a month for court terms. And so that's all we have because we have a limited number of judges throughout the state that they, they're, they basically rotate through the counties and they're set schedules. So that's the time we have to work in our, our parameters that we work in. Um, at that point, we have to use what we have through our investigators at the solicitor's office, the prosecutors, the assistants, um, to go after and, and, and use the time we have to target the people, the right people. Most of our cases, the way the system is designed, is going to be moved through police. But there are that certain group, and I propose that we have a top 50 hit list, that these are the top 50, just like the FBI most wanted list, that we here have a list of people that these are the worst of the worst, and these are the people that we have to concentrate our limited amount of time, because there's only so many days and hours in a day, and you have to use that time wisely to go after the ones, and I say it's a top 50 group, and we start knocking them off. And those are the ones that, when I say the resources, it's not just us. We Is have to work. Staffed? Are you staffed well enough? I mean, I guess that's the question it's, because I hear, I, I know you, there's nothing you can do about how much court time, mm -hmm. you know, that's sort of set. But one of the frustrations talking to law enforcement over the last couple of years is, and, and, and maybe it's just like you said, communication and stuff. They feel like a lot of times somebody will go in and they'll have 10 things bundled into something small and they get out, you know, and they get frustrated by, feel like they say, like you're saying, picking up the same guy again after that. Well, he just, he's had 10 charges and he's out already. He's been. Well, one of the things is, is of course, we're always limited by the budget that we're, we're given. And we always need more money. Like every other governmental agency, you need more resources, funding. Um, to buy, to get staff, to get the resources we need to pr successfully prosecute, whether it is type of equipment to help us in the courtroom or to hire competent and quality people. Um, but one of the things is, and this comes back to communicating. People are fed up. What I hear in the community is that, hey, a guy, we arrested a guy, he gets he gets out. A lot of times, the citizens get frustrated, but the system is designed in which we don't set the bonds. The magistrate court set the bonds. 
And there's no particular guideline on how much a bond is set. It's up to the individual judge. There's no um, criteria. They just make it in uh, a informed choice decision. So a lot of times when I say communicating is that law enforcement will know when Jeffrey Hughes gets arrested. He'll know, they'll know before we do. And he was the one who was up in the Townville Double Springs uh, Fair Play area that was stealing a lot of cars. And, and the citizens up that way with the take back Townville, with the, the, the citizens are very involved and they're fed up. And they uh, helped find this guy and finally got him arrested. When, the, when a person, when they finally put handcuffs on an individual, it's going to be a couple of weeks by the time the paperwork gets to the solicitor's office. By the time it goes from the judge's office to the clerk's office to our office, in which we, uh, a file is generated to, um, to get in a case report from the officer, it'll be, it'll be a couple of weeks. In the meantime, that guy can get back out and, calls and, and get arrested a couple more times before we even know he's hit that, that one file hits the office. Right, and that is happening. And that's or, happening. Or particularly like you're talking about, and I, not percentages, there are just, I mean, in terms of the theft you're talking about, I can talk to any of the chief deputies or anything, and they can give me four or five names that are always on hitting, robbing, you know, mm-hmm. stealing from people, you know, the theft kind of thing. And uh, like you're saying, several of them have gotten to the point where they're awaiting first defense on three or four or five and they go right back out and do it again until they get caught again. And that's where that communication is key between the agencies, that when we work together, we have successful outcomes. So in, in a case such as this, if Hughes already had three or four cases in the office, whether between the Coney County or Anderson County, then that he, his bond should be revoked. And what that at least does for the citizens, it gives them a peace of mind that he's behind bars. That he's out on bond, he's committing more crimes, he's not going to stop. It's the only place we've got to put him, or have to put him, is put him in jail. At least at that point, until this case is disposed of, he's not out harming the citizens. And that's where the communication comes into play. Law enforcement will know before we do. And they can call and say, hey, he's out again, we just picked him up again last night. We look at the information we have, say, well, he's got a couple cases pending, let's revoke his bond. And when that next court term comes, get the judge to revoke the bond, and then at least the citizens will have peace of mind knowing that he's off the streets at that point in time. So that's the communication with the actual judicial people as well is really important to talk about yes, communication. Sir. Yes, sir. Um, what, are, what are some of the other challenges? Is there anything else I haven't asked you? This, uh, you know, this, is a, this, this election cycle is key because we've, we've got a sheriff's race and a solicitor's race, and those are, like you mentioned a while ago, two of the key components to safety, I mean, public safety here in Anderson. And as we grow, and we have grown exponentially over the last decade and a half, I mean, but our services, not just with the solicitor's office, but our law enforcement, have not kept pace. So you're facing, what you mentioned, a challenge on budget, challenge on staffing, but also a challenge on just the, the economics of scale that when the county grows, crime grows. And a lot of people will look at, one of the things I think Anderson County has done a pretty good job of is we report all our crime statistics. And so when you see us end up on these things, it's because we report and other counties don't. You're yeah, not true. required to. But we end up on, oh, they're number four in this, or you're number four in theft or something, the nation, all these things. Well, that's because we're reporting specifics in other places or not. So that's a little misleading. That's true. But... Um, You've been in the office and you've seen it. So what, 
are there any other specific changes you would make? I mean, anything you would be more aggressive with? Anything you, you mentioned communication? That's probably one of your big things. What else? Well, first of all, I think that the people in the office need to have a vested interest in this community. Right now, four of the, uh, the attorneys in the Anderson County Solicitor's Office don't even live in the circuit or live in Anderson or Oconee County. They don't have a vested interest. And I think the people that's in the office need to have a vested interest because they can make a decision and then go back to the home and not have to deal with it. I think you have to have that vested interest in the community because people will see you on, out in, the, in the, the gas stations, the grocery stores. You'll be in the paper. They will talk to you. They'll see you on the street. They'll see you in the restaurant. They'll come up to you. And you got to be held accountable and responsible for your actions and, and the decisions you make. And that's why being in this community, being and living in this circuit makes you more accountable. And when you get out and see the citizens and you talk to them, you see them face-to-face, it makes it more personal. And you have to look them in the eye, and you have to, you know, you have a decision to make, and we have hard decisions to make. Uh, it's, you know, a lot of times you're gonna make some people happy, and a lot of times you're gonna make some people mad. But you have a decision. That's our job to make. We make decisions, and it affects people across the board, whether it's a victim, law enforcement, or uh, the defendants. You know, we have the power to control that, and I feel that. The people in the office need to be accountable to the community. And, and that's one of the areas I, I think that needs to be addressed. Um, also, I think is that because, as I say, we have a certain amount of time to do things, that people need to be in the office, they need to be working. And we're working for the, the taxpayers, law enforcement, and the victims. And I don't think we have been doing that aggressively enough in the past. I also propose is that we go to help, uh, you know, we're to help law enforcement. Now, we're technically, we're not the crime fighters. They are. They strap on their guns, their badge every day, and they go to work and they put themselves in harm's way. Whatever that day will bring to them, they do not know. We don't do that. We deal with what they find. And one of the things, because they're out 2 o'clock in the morning, we should have an on-call prosecutor in which if they need legal advice while they're on the side of a road with somebody, they can pick up the phone and call an attorney and get them. I mean, they're working. We need to be working, too. And that's one of the areas I think that needs to develop. And the prosecutor's office needs to also understand what law enforcement does. And that's where working relationships. You have, if you have good working relationships, it builds good success. And granted, we're not always going to get along. Uh, we, we play a, each law enforcement in the solicitor's office plays a different role in the justice system. Their job is to make an arrest. Our job is to prosecute what they do. But we have to remember and put aside differences and put aside problems that we, we think may arise to remember and focus on what the common goal is. And our common goal is to work together to seek justice to make sure our citizens are safe in the community. And that's that end result we're looking for. And, and that's where we have got to, I think we have fallen behind in the past, is that we're not working together. And when you work together, even if you don't agree with what someone does, we have to put those differences aside and focus on who we're actually there for is the public. Well, and I, I think you've, you've been pretty clear on those two points. So we've got the communication and the cooperative effort. What about, you mentioned victims. What could you do in your office to advocate for the victims in a more effective or more? Well, we do have a victim's advocate assistant. No, so that, 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 
Lawton Sheriff's Office has them. Right. A, lot, a lot of law enforcement municipal agencies have them, in which, uh, and the solicitor's office has them, in which they keep in contact. And we had the Victims Bill of Rights, in which, um, on the state level, in which they're they have rights as a victim. Right. Now, ultimately, they don't have the decision to say in the outcome, but I feel like the victims in who are who are victims of crime should have a voice and a say in what goes on and what happens. And to do that, we need them to be active. A lot of cases you typically wind up dismissing because the victims don't want to be found, to give false addresses, incorrect information. A lot of it goes back to drugs, and they're in that, they're in that cycle. They're, they're in that, that group of people. And so they don't give good information. They, don't, they won't help out. You know, a lot of problems, just like domestic violence, uh, you know, we're known, it seems, for our state to be one of the worst in the country, and domestic violence is one of the worst right now, and burglaries. But like you said about the statistics, it, that also plays a little bit into it. But there is, it's more than just our office. You have to reach out to a lot of the community groups that help people, such as you have uh, battered women. And, and these, these people that live in that type of environment, they have nowhere to go. They have no resources. There's no, no place for them to escape from the, in this case, domestic situation in which they live. And I think one of the things that our office can do to help victims and help the community is to reach out and be more proactive involved. One of the things is, is we want to see that the people that are charged with crimes, that there's some people we can help. You know, being in the business of justice doesn't mean you always put people in jail. You have to make an informed decision and judgment on each individual on a case-by-case basis. And there are people we can help. First-time offenders, uh, those that do nonviolent type crimes, you know, everybody's been a teenager, and they mess up. We sh- they should not be punished their entire life because of a rap sheet. Uh, because the ultimate goal is to make that person a productive member of society. And there's programs we have that are in place, whether you're a drug addict or a first-time offender, so we can try to help those people. Because it's cheaper to help them and get them off the drugs or get them in a get them to be a productive, solid member of the community so they can get gainful employment. Because if they're not employed, they're going right back to that cycle and they're not going to break that cycle. They're going right back into it and they're going to start stealing again. So we have to help those type of people. Well, you may, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was heading there with that. Of course, you have the drug court, which unfortunately, again, I think is communication. A lot of people don't even know about uh, if they're fortunate enough to have someone to point them in that direction. I've been working with addicts and alcoholics for 40 years, and I've seen a lot of changes around here, obviously, in, in that time. But it seems like we're filling our facilities and our court dockets with simple possession, nonviolent offenders uh, that certainly get in the way of these guys who are not only violent but thieves and other other more. Is there a way to vet what goes to court when? And, keep, and I mean, I, I know it's a, a tricky thing, but is there a way for your office to help prioritize what we want to rush through? What, what we typically want to rush through, as I told you, my idea about the top 50, right. basically a hit list. Those are the ones we know that we have to get removed. Those are the people that they're not going to change. They're not, you can't help them. They're too far gone for us to make an They have to want to change themselves, and if they don't want to, we can't help them. Even with first-time offenders, drug addicts, uh, you mentioned you know, helping seeing like substance abuse, alcohol abuse. Right. They have to also want to come to the table right. and bring something and say, you know, I want to change. I need help. Will you help me? Mm-hmm. 
But then there's groups of people that we can't help. That, that no matter what we do, they begin chance time and time again. Those are the ones that we just, for the safety of, of all the citizens, have to get removed. Because these are the people that, it doesn't matter if it's broad daylight, you know, at night, where the location is, whether it's at a restaurant, gas station, grocery store, that they'll prey upon, you know, good, hardworking people. Mm-hmm. Or just drive through Homeland Park. Yeah. Day or night. Uh, drive down Plainview or somewhere and look at what's going on out there. And I think that one of the things is, is that we have to be more aggressive in going after and targeting these people through police action, law enforcement action, and then us working with them together. One of the things is, is that we need to, in order to help make good cases, is that we have to be on a case from the, from the get-go. It's easier to fix problems and work things out on the front end of a case when it happened than it is a year later. So you, you can get problems solved up front. And that's right, it goes back to communication. Um, the major cases, the stuff that's high profile, the, the ones that you, everybody sees that makes the paper, um, those are typically cases that are violent crimes that carry a lot of weight, uh, when I say weight, years in time in, in court, that our office needs to be helping law enforcement from the start. Now, we don't do the investigation, but we're there to advise, and we're there to explain to law enforcement you're making an arrest you're making you're doing an investigation ultimately to make an arrest but ultimately the ultimate goal is to get to trial or get to a successful disposition of the case whether it's through a plea or a trial to help you get there we need to be helping them to tell them what we need what we have to have to have a successful prosecution and it's all key it's all it's all back to communicating again if you can communicate with each other and they understand what we need. Because making putting handcuffs on someone and then putting them in jail, that doesn't end the case. That's just getting it started. They have to, it has to be thought out through the whole process from once that person's in jail to he gets an attorney, whether he gets a bond or not, to a disposition, disposition of that case. We have to, um, that has to be thought out all the way through. And, and that's where we come into play, that where we help and, and work with law enforcement instead of against them. All right, I guess finally, uh, why should people elect you for this office? What do you, what, why, why are you the one they should vote for? Well, I'm there for change. It's, uh, there was an article in the paper a couple of weeks ago saying that the attorneys in the Anderson office, uh, the ones that do not live in Anderson County, are actually supporting one of the other candidates, and they're very active about it. And I thought about that, and uh, the people who know history know Winston Churchill. And Winston Churchill always said that, you know, it's good to have enemies because that means you stand for something or you stood for something. And, and that's how I take this. I stand for change. I stand that the office is going to be run differently. I stand we're going to be a more aggressive office. I stand that we're going to work with law enforcement and the citizens to make, them, to make this a better place for all of us to raise our children, go to school, and go to work. And change, we have to have change. Change is good. It's not always bad. And I, I'm going to be bringing change to the office. It's not going to be the same old status quo. It's not going to be the way it's run for for the way it's been for the last few years. There has to be a change in order for us to move forward. And, and that's what I propose. For June 14th, to have change, vote for me. Okay, well, I appreciate your time and wish you the best of luck. All right, thank you. Again, this is a really important race for Anderson and Oconee County that, that – uh, 10th Circuit Solicitor's Office is, 
is so important, and, and there is, as he said, some misunderstanding. There is the district attorney for this area. We just call it a solicitor here. So I hope to have the other candidates on for this race here in the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned for those. This week's also been a very busy week for Anderson County as council and budget workshops and stuff are going on as they work on the upcoming fiscal year budget. The second reading passed council, but there will be a budget workshop and some other uh, meetings before the final budget for the county will be voted on, which won't be the next uh, council meeting. It'll be in June sometime, probably the last council meeting of June. There is a workshop Monday morning held by Anderson County Council Chairman Tommy Dunn be at 9 a.m., the historic courthouse downtown. The public is invited to those things. And I talked to Mr. Dunn this week about the budget and about a few other things that are going on with the county that he sees as important. I'm talking to Anderson County Council Chairman Tommy Dunn, and we're going to talk a little bit about the budget. And the second reading of the budget is this week. Um, what are some of the, the, the key things on the budget that people need to be pay, paying attention to, Mr. Dunn? Well, we're going to have a, a, a workshop coming up for council. We'll be having one in the next couple of weeks uh, after second reading. We've gotten to the end of June. Probably won't pass third reading until the end of June. Give us time to get stuff to look at. Big things, and that's what we're going to have hit at our workshop this time, a little bit different, is uh, stormwater, um, uh, solid waste, uh, roads. Uh, uh, those are those are three big ones. And I, and I, and I also uh, uh, would like to see, uh, we'll do something about a web page. Uh, and that don't necessarily mean Add more people. Might have another position, but we can we can range range around and see about solving some of this. But but we've gotten uh, the counties uh, growing, and you know, in this today's uh, world, you got to have a, a information technologies out, and we got to keep up times. We got to have our web page up to date uh, and keep up the times. Uh, and we got a community TV station. You know, it took us a few years to get. We finally got it up. It's heading the right direction. We got to keep it up and keep it going, keep it fresh. So. Those things, and um, uh, but everything first well, in, in, in the library. My understanding, you know, the library is looking looking at something. So we're going to talk about that budget workshop. That'll be uh, uh, staffing at the library, trying to adjust their salary. Mm -hmm. Back to. Uh, and, and we have we have an excellent library here. People yep. have not Anderson County. I mean, it's one of the best libraries, best organized. They have a lot of events in addition to just books. People can check things out electronically. Very progressive. But we have salaries lower than a lot of their. We do, and 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 try to keep up with the marketplace. I guess uh, we're going to be looking at that, and um, uh, and also. Um, uh, Anything's going to change. Those are those are basically the, the main things that would you know change uh, a little change in the Tri-County Tech um, thing. We, we're I think majority of council's committed to, but we just want to look at it and and it, uh, what it's going to entail and let the citizens know. Well, it's closing in on two hundred thousand citizens. We can't continue to grow and not grow our budget. And I know y'all held the line on taxes for a long time. Uh, at some point, there's going to have to be some sort of increase from somewhere. <laughs> well, we got to, you're right, because um, unfortunately, um, local aid subdivision ain't coming back. I don't see it in the near future. I think the state's figured out a way they can uh, get some things done. And uh, so we've got we've to get that. You know, you, when you look at losing that money and the car rollback tax, uh, uh, that rollback and losing those, just, just those two pots of money there, then the economy shrunk down. I think done a pretty remarkable job and all about the budget thing. And we've got some... Um, expenditures. You know, we we, we put a, um, uh, uh, a roof on the museum this year. It's finishing up, uh, so that's a big expense. It had to be done. 
We've got the Civic Center starting on. We've had it starting. We're starting in a couple of weeks. The roof out there. And we've got the new courthouse across the road. You know, got a nice building. You've you got to protect. you got to have a roof. We're getting some leaks over there, so that's... That's going to be coming up very soon. Roofing is very expensive yeah, for people yeah, who don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, Especially the kind of roofs we got on them buildings. Roofs, and yeah. um, uh, as big as they are and the way what they may have are expensive. Now, on the, the roads we were talking about, you know, last year a car tax kind of was floated out but didn't make it last year. At the time they were talking $10 a car. Uh, I actually asked some people out at a nursing home what they thought about it, and they were all fine with it. I mean, people, $10 is about, is, what, is, $10 a year is not very much money. Um. Well, what I would uh, like to see is, uh, uh, well, not what I'd like to see, but what I'm working toward and see, I'd like to see the council go out and we might not do that this budget, but what I would like to do is go out and uh, sell it, have it done this time, sometime this year, go out and explain to the people, because they've got to buy into it, they got to understand, and two things I think would be very important. Number one, every dollar of that money will, will go to roads, no administrator, every bit of it, and to put a um, 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 sunset clause on it where it had to be renewed in like four years or something like that. That way people can say, well, they done it, it did work, they done what they said it was going to do or not or whatnot. And I think those two things might soften it some. But we got to do something on the roads. I mean, my, my math was at $10, it was something like between two and two and a half million a year we had raised right. for roads right. for a car tax. That's right. right. And uh, I mean, $10 a year is almost no more. That's like 80 cents a month or something. I mean, it, it, and like I said, we got to do something. And, and, and I know it's, it's a, it's a, and I hate it. Uh, but when you look at what they saved before, got took away from the, the car tax, the state tax, we took away our, our portion of it in the local, local government. We got to get some of it back. I mean, we, the, the fixed roads. That's, that's what I say. Because uh, we're getting to the point where it's just not. Uh, uh, if we don't do something in Harris, it's going to be more than just putting a layer of black top on or asphalt on. We're gonna to have to do some work, grind it up, and do something to the base, and um, getting to that point very much. So we got to get some work done. And there's a lot of areas that the state and federal mandates are, that are unfunded have squeezed us tighter and tighter. That's right. No doubt about. We got. You know, we've had. Uh, we've held it. Last year was the first year that we was able to really give a a, a, a little bit of pay raise, and we we've uh, 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 several of the state mandated things we had to get pay raises. You know, uh, 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 through the years. Uh, another thing, which you know, we can pass it on to the employees. But when employees, some of them, what they're making, not many get pay raise. Our insurance, our insurance went up this year. Um, uh, probably went up a half million dollars in, in the budget. We we are growing. That's what I'm going to be. Like I said earlier, you know, the economy's local economy's growing. But what what growth we're getting right now, being ate up by mandated stuff or stuff we're having to do. Uh, um, I mean, we got a a, a million dollar. Roughly, I think it's going to be uh, thereabouts for the roof at the Civic Center. We've got to find better ways to. Uh, uh, the Civic Center is being used. It, you, it's being used. The building itself is being used, you know, four and five days a week out there. We just think generating no revenue. I like to try to get it, try to do something to get some generate revenue. But if you go out there, that's like our, Mr. Burns says this a lot, it's sort of like our Central Park out there. If you go out there, I don't care, afternoons, school's out. Uh, special weekends, that place is full. It's jamming out there, you know, the uh, kid bench park, people walking out there, and we want to keep it up. We got to do something. And, you know, we got parks um, um, now, and, um, you know, we've gotten um, a parks department we didn't have before we got on council. Mr. Burns and council uh, approved Matt that. Does great they, job, do. Yeah. they do. For what they got to work with and what they got to keep up with, he's another one. Uh, we've talked a little bit ago about people's passion. Uh, that department uh, with Matthew and Sharon, they really got a passion for what they do. The farmers market, I mean, uh, 
this past week. Um, they supposed done it Friday. I'm assuming they did get the sign put up. We had a new sign put up because the other one was unrepairable and gone. Well, we ended up about twenty something thousand dollars in a sign down there for the farmers for, for market. But it's, but, it's, but we needed it. We got to keep. What I'm saying is, is getting back to what's called. We've got stuff uh, repairs. We got to upkeep. You know, it's like the, we're tearing the buildings down behind us down here at the old Bell's building, uh, Warworth building. They was run down and wore out because they hadn't been kept up. They had been kept up over the years. Wouldn't had to tear them down. Could done something. But they was they was beyond repair. Uh, for one, it would have been worth to get them fixed with, so we don't want to see our other stuff get like that. We've got to keep it up. Well, economic development's been pretty good in bringing in jobs, and a lot of those jobs have not even been realized. They're just getting built and all. That's right. And all of those people, when you hear that we're bringing in 100 jobs, 150 jobs, many times that's a lot of new people to provide services for, so that's the other big... It is. I mean, said earlier, you got you got that much more um, um, uh, solid waste to contend with, that much more storm water has to be contained Man with. Mandated stuff you're talking and, about, uh, yeah. Uh, on, on the mandated stuff, we've gotten um, um, a good portion of... Uh, one good thing about growing like this is the housing market right now is good, and so that's not only these jobs, people buying houses. And uh, uh, the good thing and bad thing, if you look around all the construction that's going on in the local housing market and development's going on, so that's a good thing. It just takes a little bit for them to get on the tax books to get it up, but it's coming. we got to Keep it going. I heard somebody say one time, uh, they said, you know, how many, how much uh, county services you can get for a million dollars? You can get a million dollars worth of county services. <laughs> you can't get more than that. People want to get, they keep wanting to get blood out of a turnip. I'm going to switch gears real quick before we finish up here. Um, the, uh, you and I have been talking about Homeland Park and the needs down there. I mean, it, it, statistics you look at, an overwhelming majority of crime either has its origins there or happens there. Uh, drug problems, you can ride down through a couple of streets there. And I've looked the other day, they were talking about adding 50-something houses to the Demolish list. Um, I believe, if I'm correct, it's about five thousand, not one down. And the feds will charge you seventy eight hundred or something, that kind of thing. Uh, what do you think we can do for Homeland Park uh, in, in the months and years ahead? Well, we're committed. I think uh, uh, I am and majority council are in the in the administrator and his staff of making Homeland Park a better place to live, uh, and we can do that by cleaning it up. Start off with go down there and. Uh, uh, enforcing the rules and ordinances we got. We need tightening it up as far as the rundown housing, the slumlords, uh, working with the sheriff's department, hopefully get rid of some of the uh, thieving that's going on down there. Make not, hey, right now it's just open. The neighbors talking about it. Those two things are big things. And hopefully uh, working, you know, they, they, they're in the process of putting a community garden down there. Let people know that Kieran and, and the county is going to be keeping an eye on it. People's going to be watching. It's not gonna be, you might do this, but it's not going to notice as far as the stealing and the running rampant down there. Uh, um, uh, hopefully we can get a, a, in talks with the Salvation Army, uh, the Boys Club, uh, to do something down there. Maybe maybe have something other, uh, you know, uh, a fire station. We're looking at something on that, working with them on that. Uh, uh, also, uh, a community building. When I say, you know, where this wall works out in one building and whatnot, but you got the Boys Club, fire station, uh, community paramedics. Uh, working with the hospital, we in, in talks with them down there, talks with school district five. We're having job fairs down there uh, and very shortly, not this week, next week, I think job fairs will be starting down there. Uh, got companies involved and interested, and uh, I've heard a lot of comment from some business folks around that, uh, that heard about what's going on down there, what the process is trying to do, and got a lot of positive feedback. So we want to keep that, keep that, uh, keep that going, and it's going to take a little bit. It's not going, it's not going to be fixed overnight, but it's, but. Going in it for the long haul to make sure it gets done. And I'm real pleased uh, uh, with the support down in the community and, and, the, and the feedback we're getting so far. But uh, we've got to uh, stay the course and get it cleaned up and uh, 
And um, um, then out of the track, more and better housing and track businesses coming down there. And we got businesses down there. We just need to keep them up cleaned up. And uh, home parks not as a, uh, it's got a bad reputation. Some people might met, but it's not. It's not that bad. It's, it's, it's a lot of good folks down there, hardworking folks, and there's just a few bad apples down there, and just moves in, takes in, and and it's uh, people that uh, uh, a lot of times it happens in the neighborhoods. You know, it's, it's renters. What is it's, it's uh, landlords don't care. They just want that rent. As long as that rent just come in, don't care what they got. So we hopefully can educate and make sure people's responsible and and uh, get get like that and, and have it. Because fixing that up and getting that down there is just only going to make it better for the whole Anderson County. And the Homeland Park Fire, Fire, Homeland Park Fire Department has done a tremendous job of sort of being the headquarters for trying to revitalize things it down is. there. Y'all got is. a community garden down there now? Yep. And they got a, a, a good fire department that's working to hold that, good board of directors and some folks involved in that, uh, trying to keep it. Like I said, there's a, uh, in, in, in bringing the churches in, trying to get them involved. Like I said, one of the job fairs was going to be at Homeland Park Baptist Church. Uh, we've had a couple of meetings, and one of them, the reverend, the preacher at uh, Varenas was there, and a couple more people. And that's going to be key this thing. And I've said this before my years been on council, you know, we're going to let the people know the council and the administrators got their back and going to be supporting them and doing things, but the, the community itself down there has got to want this to happen too. they got to, have to make it work, and it can work. Right. Well, I appreciate Mr. Dunn. No, I appreciate y'all. Thanks. Thanks, man. I think it's good to remind everybody that Mr. Dunn is not, uh, does not have any opposition for re-election, so this is not a partisan thing. Although he has done an excellent job as chairman of county council, he's kept meetings on track, kept them at a reasonable time, and I know they're working hard on hammering out this budget, and you heard the priorities there. If you have any issues, uh, you can give him a call, or you can talk to the folks at county council, uh, whoever your council person is, or you can show up to the next county council meeting, which will be a week from Tuesday night in the historic courthouse downtown Tuesdays at 6.30, every other Tuesday at 6.30. And finally, Kid Venture 2.0 is moving ahead. Uh, the demolition of the old playground begins Monday morning. They're going to take the old volcano out, and they're donating that to... Uh, St. Mary's Church, um, they're going to re, re, um, reconstruct it down there in a new way. And there's going to be new equipment coming. With real, It's much more modern, much safer, much more accessible. There's going to be a new uh, stuff on the ground instead of just wood mulch to make it safer. So that, that looks like a, a lot of good stuff going out there. If you've had kids and raised them here, then that is the county playground. And there's a work day at that site still set for June 4th. I want to thank the continued hard work of Julia Woodson, whom we've had on this podcast before. And, and she continues to spearhead an effort to this new playground. See, it starts with citizens getting involved, and she wanted to see something better for her grandkids and for the kids of Anderson County. And so she is, has a full-time job, but in her spare time, she volunteers to make this KidVenture 2.0 a reality. You can visit them on Facebook at KidVenture 2.0, and you'll hear more about uh, what's going on there and how you can help and, and contribute and volunteer. And finally, don't forget, uh, Saturday, the Anderson County Farmer's Market is now open for their spring market from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., soft opening for this, this, that, how they did every year. There's been some produce out there, no tomatoes yet. Don't hold your horses. They'll be here when they're, when they're blooming. But there are some, uh, there's been some squash and a lot of greens, a lot of other things, so you can get out there. And also a lot of crafts and things going on. Saturday is also um, the time they're having that maker's market at Warehouse Theater right next door, so you can go by both places and give you something to do Saturday morning. And on Tuesday night, the Anderson Farm and Food Association will begin their efforts. So you can head on down there and get ready for a new season of uh, fun and food. And they do some cooking. They have music and some other things and some workshops. So it's heading into produce season, fruit and vegetable season. So I know we're all looking forward to that. And we will announce when the first tomato shows up, I promise, right here on the podcast. Next week, we got Matt Shell, who's director of the Anderson County Parks and Recreation Department, here to talk about the Saluda River Rally, which is coming up. 
plus some more news and a couple surprise interviews I want to save until next week. All that and more on the Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust. And as always, until next week, I encourage you to get out and do something to make Anderson a better place.